Ah, uh, cultural appropriation. The white dude with a Bob Marley poster on his dorm wall who exclusively wears a drug rug and smells like musty weed. The Rastafarian hat and dreads Halloween costume. We've all seen what it looks like when white people learn about a fraction of Jamaican culture and run with it. But what does it sound like? From Mick Jagger bellowing in a caricature of a Jamaican accent, to Chet Hanks upsetting attempts at patois, UB40 to the 2022 winners of the Grammy for Best Reggae Album Award, Soja. Have y'all heard of that? No. <laughs> they were an all-white uh-uh. reggae, or I think they are mostly white reggae band who won Best Reggae Album in 2022. <laughs> white reggae is ubiquitous in pop music, alarmingly so. And for better or worse, Baby Lee Roth is here to throw our novelty-knit Rasta cap with attached dreadlocks into the ring. This, my friends, is white reggae. (laughs) Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, the podcast about playlists. And now, here are Callie, Erica, and Bridget. Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, your fave mixtape podcast. I guess, I suppose we should introduce ourselves, huh? My name is Callie. I'm Bridget. I'm Erica. What are y'all, what are y'all thoughts on white people doing reggae? Um, I didn't want to do this episode, <laughs> but after doing some research, I am like, oh, I'm like pleasantly surprised with some things that I learned. And goddamn, if this playlist isn't a uh, little head bopper. It's alarmingly catchy. It's kind of our best playlist since Flutes, I think. <laughs> oh, Why man. is Flutes <laughs> the bar? Flutes is the bar. Okay. Can y'all think of another playlist we've done that hasn't sucked? <laughs> Crime. Oh yeah, okay, dude! Okay, okay. Crimes was the best. I always Crimes forget was about only Crimes. episode five, and Flutes came way after that. Crimes was the best. My Listen to the Cryptids episode, but Don't. not the Cryptids playlist. Yeah, every episode is a banger. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> this is the Led Zeppelin song, Dear Maker. We had to start with a song because it's kind of, to me, a prototypical example of a band maliciously putting reggae into their sound for no reason, like offensively insulting to the concept of reggae and music and rock music. It's boring. It's a boring song. It's really slow. These assholes stole every note they know from black people. They weren't content to strip mine Delta Blues traditions, which they got from Robert Johnson, as mentioned in our Satanic Carnival episode. Led Zeppelin proceeded to copy Jamaican music as only a colonizer can with this stupid fucking song. Why is it called that? Well, the name sounds like Jamaica if you say it fast and are a wanker. This is from Houses of the Holy, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it's from Houses of the Holy. I love Led Zeppelin, despite all of the bad things about them. I especially love John Bonham's drum playing, but this song is, has there's no excuse for it. And yet it's so fucking catchy. It's boring and bad and stupid and... I still want to listen to it. Thank yeah, that's listening. kind of my exact relationship with Led Zeppelin is that they are boring <laughs> and bad, <laughs> and yet I still like them. I was actually listening to um, my brother and I on my other podcast, um, Headbangers Book Club. We read two of the Led Zeppelin books, and so I was listening to that <laughs> at work in preparation of this episode because I wanted to remember my brother brought up the fact that Led Zeppelin not only stole from blues musicians, like Delta blues musicians, but also their contemporaries, Jeff Beck, (laughs) Steve Marriott. uh, There was another dude who, like, they pretty much lifted, oh, what song was that? I can't remember, but they they just, like, stole egregiously. Yeah. Unfortunately. (laughs) Not just, not just from black people, which, like, not to say it's better or worse, but everybody during yeah. that period kind of stole from blues music and did not give credit yeah um 
which is fucked. Like, let's be clear. But I mean, they would do straight up covers and not acknowledge that it was a cover. Like Lemon Tree is a cover, and they would they were like, oh, "That's we wrote that." But they also did that to people on the scene recording at that same time. They're contemporaries, and we're taken to court over it. Like they just were the fucking worst and the only reason they get away with it is because they're so good at music yeah <laughs> like, it's infuriating because because they are literally the worst people they're such horrible human <laughs> beings we can't even get into the things that they've done to women together and as individuals there's a whole section of our two-hour podcast on like the book club podcast that's just about sex crimes because <laughs> <laughs> they are they are many but and I don't mean to say, I mean, but you can't but that sex crimes are full on bad. And I think that they got away with it because the this music is very good. It's so weird. Yeah, like they stole from everyone else, but somehow synthesized it along with their like, really, like they're all really good musicians, obviously, like very technically skilled and have like, a great like vibe together. I don't know. It's just maybe maybe they sold their souls. I find it offensive that of all of Led Zeppelin's catalog, this is the song that I hear the most often, either on the radio yeah, or in public spaces, and I hate it. <laughs> Could it just be a whole lot of love? Like, if that or, like, the fucking cashmere would be f- – if they played cashmere everywhere, totally fine, or, like – the fucking what's the fucking viking song what like that right uh, yes the immigrant, song. the immigrant song yes i don't know why i think i, I oh because you know why because the internet video with the cats on the viking ship to that song that my no, dad it's about would send vikings. To me. it is but there's a vi- there's a there was a viral video back in the days of like e-ball i thought world. it was about shrek oh my god <laughs> Man, we shrek. couldn't even I, make it five minutes into the episode <laughs> well it's because it's just, it's because the immigrant song appeared in Shrek too. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I feel like the more I hear Led Zeppelin songs, and maybe I'm just an insufferable hipster, the worse they become for me because the immigrant song like makes me cringe. I can't even listen to it. Cashmere is boring. Dear Maker, I mean, we already spoke about how stupid it it's is. the worst one and it's played everywhere all the time like it shouldn't and it shouldn't be. yeah yeah it's horrible it's my hot take you know it's a good blood zeppelin song in my opinion carousel ombra i actually really love carousel i actually really love a lot of stuff from in through the outdoor and i know that's a red hot take but <laughs> i do <laughs> um guess what horrible song i like by led zeppelin it's called moby dick and it's a 10 minute drum solo oh, <laughs> i actually like moby dick too oh my god I'm joking. i like the riff on moby <laughs> dick like the most <laughs> every episode you managed to say something more on brand for you and that is just i just oh yeah it is very on brand for me to like this band because as we know deep inside my heart is a guy that like a Jim bro that lives in his parents' garage. So. <laughs> also, your literary love of Moby Dick. And the fact yeah. that the song is called Moby Dick. Yeah. There's more I mean, to you than Jim bro. And it's fucking glasses I, pushing up. Fucking. Well, okay. There's this specific... <laughs> there's this specific kind of nerd that's like also loves to lift weights and play drums and lift. Like, um... <laughs> You know, get really into metal. I don't know. Sorry. I have, like, uh, you know when you have, like, um, a really elaborate conception of who your inner light is? Yeah, well, we spoke about this, that we're all different incarnations of, like, an 80s nerd. Yeah. <laughs> one of one of um, my friends, Alison, her Twitter name for a long time was Rock and Roll Dad. And I feel like that's, like, very <laughs> us as well. <laughs> <laughs> One time my coworkers, my coworkers at my old job who were like not that much younger than me, but like maybe 10 years younger than me, they told me that I listened to divorce dad music. And I was like, Ew. and is this a problem? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Uh, maybe this is the song even more problematic or less. <laughs> mm. 
I think so. I mean, it's by an, another heavy hitter of classic rock radio, the Rolling Stones. It's called... <sighs> it's called Hey Now. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'm editing it, so I'll choose that later. <laughs> I'll just put David Lee Roth in there. <laughs> you could probably find an audio clip of him just saying that word if you really wanted. So Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't we, think we, I'd we have to look yeah, that hard either. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say it, but Dad will. <laughs> Our boomer dad. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, oh. oh my God. his He's gone off the... He was never on the rails, only the cocaine was. (laughs) (laughs) He's even further diverged from them. (laughs) (laughs) We're going really well today. This is going smoothly. (laughs) It stands to reason that a group of white English boys who modeled their sound off Chicago rhythm and blues and who dabbled in gospel and disco would eventually try their hand at reggae music, especially during this period of time. It's pretty much bound to happen if you are a right rock group of a certain age, unless you go the Jethro Tull route and just start out as R&B and then suddenly pivot to the whitest, dorkiest music with more time signature changes that you could shake a flute at. But I digress. Hey, y'all. Want to know two things that Mick Jagger likes doing? One, using an offensive Jamaican accent. Two, singing about hypersexualized black women. And guess what? They are both present in the song. This is from the Stones album that heavily features Billy Preston. In this song, Preston plays a percussive Afro-Cuban sounding piano. Detroit's own Ollie Brown provides the Latin-influenced percussion. Like Billy Preston, he frequently toured with the Stones during this period and also played with BLR alumni Ray Parker Jr. on Radio's self-titled <laughs> debut album. He also would join with radio bassist Jerry Knight to form the duo Ollie and Jerry to perform the title tracks from both Breakin' and Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo. So that rules. But anyway, much as I'd prefer to discuss the break-in soundtrack, back to the song I'm supposed to be talking about. It's criticized for being sexist, but personally I'm a little more upset about the word just casually coming out of Mick Jagger's oversized mouth (laughs) as if it's an okay thing to say. Bridget, do I have your permission to read your note on this instead of you? Yeah. Bridget's one note is, the guitar riff on this is so stellar, frown emoji. We also we talked about good stuff about Mick Jagger and his oversized mouth last week. Yeah, you know. I mean, the thing about it is that when I, you know, I am a huge Stones fan. I like Led Zeppelin. You know, I like a lot of rock music, but it is a male-dominated field and a lot of these men fucking suck as human beings and i'm not gonna shy away from talking Mm, about it i think that's really fair to do at this time uh like the 60s and 70s and i assume other time periods too men didn't really have any consequences for anything that they did and the richer and more talented and more famous you were the more you could get away with so like there were no yeah there were no repercussions there was no one saying no to anything, especially if it mostly impacted. And know. and then we, me and I hate to keep referencing my other podcast, but in the Headbangers Book Club episode, we talked about that how like can you know cancel culture doesn't fucking exist. None no. of these people are getting canceled. Never. So it's ridiculous to even act like we should stop canceling people because there's no consequences. Like it doesn't matter. But people like Mick Jagger and all of the members, all the surviving members of Led Zeppelin, they did extremely egregious acts, and Big Jagger specifically sung a lot of songs about, like, hypersexualized black women, and, like, uh, trigger warning, slavery rape, <laughs> like, in, in a popular song that's played on the radio all the time, and- It's still on the radio. It's just- Yeah. Yeah, oh Yeah. And he's just like, now he's just like everybody's grandfather. He shows up in a nun costume on SNL. It's like, there's Did you finally see it? 
I did because when I was looking for stuff to put on uh, Instagram, and I ended up not using it. But maybe for this one, maybe we can use it for this yeah. one. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I don't. But I mean, and it's it's not like I want them to be run out on a rail, and you know, don't listen to the Stones. Obviously, I'm still listening to the Stones. I'm listening to this song, and it's terrible. It is but. infuriating though when people are like, "Oh, you have to be very careful what who you listen to, and we have to get all the facts because this could ruin someone's life." Like, actually, it's never ruined anyone's life. Not for more Never. than, like, a few months. And, it, and it's definitely not going to ruin these, like, older rock stars. Like, they've already lived their entire life. They're making yeah. millions of dollars. What, like, like, what's left of their lives can't really be ruined. And it's not even that I want it to be ruined. You know, yeah. like, the, the chance for accountability, I feel like, is mostly, like, that ship has sailed. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know. I feel like the only thing you can do is talk about it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. There was kind of a lot of that when when um when Prince passed away and everyone kind of realized how young Maite was when he when they started kind of flirting dating but he was like I didn't date her till she was 18 and it was like there's this there was just like a larger conversation about like grooming and it was like well Prince is a predator and it was like you know what <laughs> Do we have to get into this? The man has died. Is it like we can acknowledge that, but we don't have to like, we're not, nobody's not going to listen to fucking the Love Symbol album because it's like, whatever. I don't know. But it, but if you choose not to, then that's, I mean, that's totally whatever. Yeah, that's listen fine. to it or don't. I'm it's still there. Fucking it happened. listen to it. Yeah. But yeah. Like, Prince is going to be Prince until we're all fucking dead and cockroaches walk the earth he's still his legacy is it is what it is and in many ways i don't think it should you know like i i think that we can still talk about people and talk about shitty things and point things out like for example every time i love Joni mitchell and every time i talk about Joni mitchell i make sure to come. <laughs> it's not funny. not funny comment on the fact that she frequently appeared in black it's funny because she looks ridiculous as a in, well everyone does but it's also horrifying, but also worth talking about. Like, yeah, Joni Mitchell is an amazing artist, but also she frequently appeared in blackface, even on her own album cover. It's horrifying that she did that, but it's also pretty funny that she didn't have the self-awareness to know not to do that. And as far as I know, still does not. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's never really apologized for anything. I don't know. What are you going to do? Talk about another... T- I don't have the answers. another British I guy feel like the- doing white reggae? Yeah. Is that what we should do? Yeah. So, uh, less, less problematic, though. Yeah, it's a little less problematic, I think. Slightly less. This is uh, Tim Curry, a song called Working on My Tan. Unless that's referring to black <laughs> Cut that part out. <laughs> okay. Working on my tan. So this song was brought to my attention in the most fortuitous timing. So a few days after we recorded our last episode and we had picked this theme of white reggae, I didn't know what songs I was going to do yet and I wasn't really even thinking about it. Um, One of my friends, Chloe, I do Marco Polo with her and she sent me this Marco Polo that was like, it's like a video back and forth and she was like, hey, I was just at Amoeba um, earlier today and I found this record and it's Tim Curry's best of and I just knew I had to have it and I got home and I listened to it and I heard this song working on my tan and I immediately she immediately thought of me which is fucking amazing <laughs> like to be to hear this song and then be like Erica's gotta hear that so I just that made me feel fucking great and then I listened to it it's fucking great so um you may know Tim Curry from, I don't know, any one of his legendary performances in film, TV, theater, voice acting, but do you also know that he has multiple albums? So before I did, uh, before I knew about this song, I knew of the, uh, I do the rock. I knew of that, but like had forgotten about it, but I was like, all right, he did have a, have a couple albums. But the thing is, the discovery of working on my tan was such a delight. And like over the course of the past week, my friend Chloe and I have sent multiple videos of ourselves dancing to it back and forth to each other. 
Um, there isn't too much written about this song, and like, thank God. But it does feature David Zamborn on saxophone. Um, the lyrics aren't super problematic or anything. Lucky for us, it's just kind of like a little happy, little white reggae song about not working too hard for the man and prioritizing relaxing and working on one's tan. But since it's, you know, by white people and probably for white people, you're sunburned in an island in the sun. I feel like this is the first example of how you can make a reggae. I mean, and this is this is bordering on novelty song. Oh, it's novelty song. What do you? This is full. It's tipped over the edge. (laughs) It's not a parody. It's just a novelty. Like it's not. Yeah, I mean, I will elevate anything Tim Curry does to high art because he could punch me in the face and I would walk away with a smile on him. That's the thing. He's kind of the opposite of like he's so like unproblematic and so beloved that you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. At least as as far as I know. No one do any further research or yeah. tell us otherwise. I don't want to know it. <laughs> I also sidebar have y'all seen that tweet that's like, or maybe it's a Tumblr post talking about how the two greatest um, actors to appear with the Muppets are Michael Caine and Tim Curry. And it's because Michael Caine plays it totally straight as if the Muppets are like human actors and Tim Curry just is one of the Muppets. (laughs) Yeah. Michael Caine is such a legit actor and he plays it so seriously in Muppet Christmas Carol. It's so beautiful. Muppet Christmas Carol is my favorite It is, it is like one of my favorite movies of all time. It is. When I I was a kid, I had a crush on Michael Caine (laughs) solely based on his accent in Muppet Christmas Carol. That is really relatable. It's really, it's also real on brand for Callie. Yes. We do a lot of showing our like inner selves on this. I feel like if anybody would listen to this podcast, they would get to know me on a level that like most people don't get to. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a good thing no one listens to this podcast because they're learning a lot about us. <laughs> That's not it's true. A lot of therapy. people listen to it actually. Like 25. <laughs> Have I told you guys that I had a crush on Tommy Lee Jones when I was little? No. <laughs> no. I feel like that's pretty similar to having a crush on Michael Caine. Is it from his role in Batman? <laughs> I actually think it's from his role in The Fugitive. <laughs> As a child? Yeah. I don't know, guys. (laughs) I, every time this conversation comes up, because people will always talk about, oh, like my childhood crush, whatever, I'm like, the only thing I can think of. And I've said this before, and it's so fucking, it's embarrassing that I've said it so many times, not that it exists, because I know this happens for other people, but it's the animated foxes in Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood with, with animals. That's the only thing that I can think of. That's a shared experience. Until, until I, revisited Newsies when I was a senior in high school and I was like, oh, Spot Conlon. So those are two, <laughs> two crushes I've had in my whole life of people like in movies or TV. Well, those foxes are yeah. hot and Disney knew what they were doing yeah. and that's why we have so many furries now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's accurate. And end of, end of theory. I had one more fucking thing to say about Tim Curry and I don't remember what it was. I can't, does so. he do an offensive Jamaican accent in this one? I don't think so, because I was listening to it. It's just his accent. Oh, yeah, because he's English. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that kind of, like, where you find the line between cultural appropriation and stealing and making a mockery of it, between, like, more of, as the next two songs I'll talk about are kind of, like, an homage to it, where it is, like, where Jamaican people themselves are, like, yes, please, please please spread this music. And I feel like white people doing the Jamaican accent, the fucking Cool Runnings accent, is like, oh, you, that's that, mm, yeah. that's a line crossed. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a telltale sign that this is going to be some bullshit. <laughs> is if if a white person is doing a Jamaican accent and they are not from Jamaica, um, so that's number one. But also, I feel like that can go too far. Like an all white like reggae band winning. <laughs> the reggae album of the year over a Jamaican group. Like, that's taken yeah. too far. Oh. It's exactly the same as Macklemore beating Kendrick Lamar. Exactly. Exactly. And, like, I, I feel like the best way you can do it, honestly, is by having, and we'll talk about this later, but having reggae influences in your stuff, but not being a full-on reggae band, because then 
feel like you could either take it too far by being offensive or you can take it too far by being like too, too authentic. Rev- yeah, but but not obviously it's not authentic. Yeah, like you're too from fucking um, Pittsburgh like like if you're putting it on a pedestal almost or like trying to preserve it in a little Well, I think it's that thing of like just I don't know. Like it's hope hope an actual Jamaican group become famous instead of like do that as a hobby and i don't know yeah totally that actually makes a lot of sense and also segues really well into what i was thinking about saying about ldn by lily allen Which I was going to kind of, like, make a lot of fun of her for, like, she did grow up in London, but she, I don't think she really, she grew up on the West End, so I don't know that much about it. But I was going to kind of get into, like, is this really, is the reggae and ska influence in this really, like, authentic to her experience as a person in London? And then I realized that's a stupid thing to talk about because lots of white American artists reference, like, blues. I mean, blues, obviously, everyone references blues, but, like... I would not make fun of a white rock artist from America using, like, hip-hop influence. So, I don't know. I got really in my head about it, obviously. I feel like there are a lot of Jamaican... There's, like, big Jamaican population in London, though, too, Yeah, exactly. That's why so I was So I feel like, like that might be a little more authentic than Americans. Well, that's exactly where I kinda, also. Yeah, like... Because that's always my thing with hip-hop, is, like, I consider myself to be a fan of hip-hop like I know a lot about hip-hop music I have some issue with a lot of white rappers but also I feel like hip-hop even though it is black music form it's also like I grew up with it it's a, it's an American music form so it's like something that was around me all the time right. so it's not completely like out of the realm of possibility that I would be interested in it even though I grew up in a white yeah. household. <laughs> so, like, like, don't you think maybe, like... Because really all this song has in it that's reggae is, like, the beat. And, I mean, it has that kind of, like, sunny, like, upbeat vibe. But um, it's like if I was just going in on Limp Biscuit for having rap. Which I would yeah. go in on... I would go in on Limp Biscuit for having rap, but for other reasons. Not because it's inauthentic for... I don't know. Like, I just... I feel like I'm... I don't have any standing to be like, Lily, even though you're from London and there's a ton of ska influence and tons of English bands, not just you, you didn't just pull this out of your ass. I'm going to call you out for not being authentic. Um, well, I don't I don't think it's, it's supposed to be authentic either. Right, you know? and then... It's not like she's trying to be authentic, she's just using those influences. Exactly, totally. And also, like, is authenticity even an important aim in and of itself? Okay. Lily Allen is the daughter of a West End theater producer and actor. She was troubled as a teen and ended up dropping out of school and moving to Ibiza (laughs) to sell ecstasy. And then she started making music and posted a couple of demos, including LDN, on MySpace. And it kind of took off and she released a 7-inch of this song. Uh, The song describes a cheerful but crumbling London on a sunny day. It's really fun and, like, bouncy. It's... A good song to put on um, when you're driving. And the video is really cute. She's wearing like a ball gown and sneakers, which was her look at the time. Lily Allen is married to David K. Harbour now. I was one time in Silver Lake with our friend Lizzie, me and Erica's friend Lizzie. And we I almost literally ran into Lily Allen as she was coming out of Cremo, which is a vegan ice cream and donut shop. <laughs> it took me like 45 seconds to get out of the way. And I'm sure she was like, God, I hate being famous. People just stare at you but I actually didn't recognize her because I was looking at her nails um and then later Lizzie like we were sitting like fairly near them eating our ice cream and I still had no idea what was going on and then later Lizzie was like wow Lily Allen's looking really good and I was like how do you know (laughs) we're just calling you out of nowhere Lizzie is one of the best celebrity or otherwise famous or eat, like down to the lowest level that you could be a celebrity recognizers of all time. 
and I love that about her because I don't know who fucking anybody is ever. Lizzie has like a photographic catalog in her head of like everyone who's ever <laughs> accomplished anything. It's really amazing. It's super impressive. Oh, oh! I had never heard this before because I've never listened to any Lily Allen songs ever in my life. Somehow it escaped me. Um, this song is real cute. Yeah, I actually hadn't either. I just, That's I so know funny. her I name. I, I could not tell it. you what she looked like. I could not tell you in her fucking does. I remember her being famous. I know what in she looks MySpace like, but I don't know. Is she a white girl I know with what blonde she looks hair? Like, but I haven't heard her music. No. Oh, well, okay. Well, she's white. <laughs> <laughs> she's a white girl with black hair and she looks like a little uh, a little elf okay kind of all right small. okay all right well let's go on to elvis another another english person <laughs> i think elvis costello is irish no whoa is he um i i'm on his wikipedia right now he's an english songwriter oh okay i mean it is it's he just possible to had be that song about Irish people, which he also included the N word in. Oh. Speaking of colonizers. a lot of Irish people have lost in Costello, but I guess that might he not was be born in West I London. I think he might Both be. Both parents are from the Liverpool area and had moved to London t- together. Costello's father was Catholic and of Irish descent, but his mother is neither. That's what the fucking Wikipedia is. Neither straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's straight from the <laughs> yes, Neither, neither what mm-hmm. Irish Both. or Catholic. Yeah. I don't know. You can, Irish, no, yeah. you can also choose to cut That's that such out. A but that was, way to I'm just on the so Wikipedia page. Okay. Don't cut it out. <laughs> I don't. <All> right. <laughs> don't perceive me on this platform that I've chosen to use to shout about. I don't home. think it's going to work for us to just cut all your lines out. What if you did? Okay. All right. Watching the Detectives is another one of Elvis Costello's beautifully written incel <laughs> songs, <laughs> where there's just an underlying anger at women for existing. <laughs> A lot of the stuff I read about Elvis Costello is like his cynical lyricism, and I'm like, you mean his lyrics that are just like grumpy that women exist? And <laughs> <laughs> I love Elvis Costello though. In the song, the woman pro- protagonist is entranced by a detective show, and the description of her is a little condescending. I thought. <laughs> She follows her nails as they drag the lake, presumably for bodies, and she is mainly paying attention to how cute the detectives are. There are a lot of cinematic references to what's actually going on beyond the television show. There's like they use like cut to in the lyrics, like referring to what's actually going on in the male protagonist's head um, instead of what's on the TV screen. What's going on though is kind of ambiguous, but seems to be about an underage girl who has either been kidnapped by an older boyfriend or. Just by a dude in general, Jimmy Page style. <laughs> <laughs> the reggae song came from Elvis Costello listening to The Clash's first album, which I thought was really funny. Um, there's a quote where he says, When I first put it on, I thought it was just terrible, but I played it again, and I liked it better. By the end, I stayed up all night listening to it on headphones, and I thought it was great. <laughs> then I wrote Watching the Detectives. So I kind of like this because it's meta. It's white reggae that's influenced by other white reggae. Yeah, we're actually um, nobody's talking about the Clash on yeah. this playlist, but it was uh, initially I was going to, but um, in as I mentioned talking to Hunter about this, I decided to do the the police for that spot instead. But there are a lot of the like reggae. half their songs yeah. are very reggae influenced. Yeah, they don't have a very disco influence. Which again, I don't I don't think is inherently bad. Like this, watching mm-hmm. the detectives, it doesn't strike me <clears throat> as. I feel like we actually really veered away from the what you first think of when you think of white reggae, which is like bar. Well, no, and that's that's oh, what we get the back point to it though. Was oh yeah, we will. <laughs> Don't think I didn't listen to the playlist this blood, time. But I think I, I mean part of the reason I thought of this theme was because of how ubiquitous it is to the point like like um I think I thought of it because you just listen to any 
rock album from a certain period of time and it's like oh here's the reggae song right. <laughs> like they did the reggae right. song on this one like everybody has a reggae song similar to how everybody at around that period also had a disco yeah, song or like true. a few years later had low oh, they were doing disco um and it's just kind of interesting how prevalent it is to the point where like you said like do your maker is led zeppelin's most played song on the radio probably like it's just so normalized but it's also so interesting that so many artists (laughs) were influenced by reggae and how different the sounds were like it it ranges from Mick Jagger yelling in a Jamaican accent to like the Elvis Costello song or the we'll talk about later but the Bauhaus song that you chose where it's like I wouldn't even recognize that necessarily as Mm -hmm. reggae until it's pointed out to me and then I hear it and it's like oh yeah there is a reggae influence Mm -hmm. and that's not like the price yeah it's it's like it's like goth different levels of offensiveness goth reggae which is like again (laughs) knowing what I know about Bridges musical influences (laughs) is peak Bridget is goth reggae <laughs> like there could not be any- <laughs> but, but also like <laughs> that of course i wanted to talk about how how offensive it is and how fucked it is to appropriate different music stylings with absolutely no like connection to it but also like how you can as a musical artist be influenced by music that wasn't necessarily from where you came from mm-hmm. or what your culture is and not make it a like fucking minstrel yeah. show. Yeah. Well, like, it's, it okay. is possible. That y'all. ties in really nicely with the next song I'm going to talk about. Wait, I just I'm surprised. I'm impressed by the uh, narrative complexity of watching the detectives. There's like a lot of framing and. It's a really really good song. Yeah. I I kind of I'll admit that I kind of buried the lead a little bit <laughs> by yes, calling Elvis Costello like an it. incel. Like I I I. We'll always, I will always make fun of Elvis Costello's lyrics because a lot of them are grumpy about women. However, he's a really great yeah, artist. He's a really his, his um, songwriting is yeah. is um, like lyrically is. I I am not good at picking up what a song might be about when I listen to music. You could fucking say whatever, and the first thing I listen to is like the beat, and so I'll, like just kind of figuring out what a song is about can often be almost it. It can be difficult because like I can't read between the lines. I don't know what you're talking about, but like his song is very like intelligent and rich and storied and stuff, and I think that's very. I don't know. There's just, there's an artistry to it. I definitely feel the same that a complex or like really, I mean it. It's a whole extra level of like art form, like on top of being music musically good and uh, musically competent and like creative. Yeah. There's also like writing poetry that rhymes and is good and complex is like one of the hardest things in English. So yeah, because none of our words rhyme. Yeah, I always feel like a dummy because I'm Did like I don't per- understand this. What? You're have you noticed how bisexual your lighting is? <laughs> No, it's a. <laughs> this is my ghost okay, baby after dark class, and like all of my songs were about like it's like need you tonight and stuff, and I did reference how sexual it was, but I didn't know I was like coding it <laughs> for my class. Yeah, you know my how... class by and for bisexuals. <laughs> you know how pink and purple lighting is. Everyone's always like that's bisexual lighting. Oh. Um. Will you tell us about this next song though? I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. No, it's okay. Yes. Okay. So, all right, hold on to your butts. This song (laughs) is Walking on the Moon by The Police. I'm going to start this off with a direct quote from Sting himself describing the police, the police's sound, the the sound of the police, (laughs) the the, the police's sound, Um, and why they incorporate reggae. So Sting's quote, 
For me, it was homage to something that I loved. I was brought up in the England in the 50s and 60s, and we had a very influential West Indian community, so I grew up with calypso and ska music and bluebeat. Then when Bob Marley came to England, it was very revolutionary to me because he turned rock music on its head. The importance of the bass as a bass player that was hugely influential to me. The way the drums are played is completely different. And then Marley's philosophy, his spiritual message, his political message was very powerful. For me, it wasn't cultural appropriation. It was homage to something that I loved and I still love. And I get that probably a lot of people accused of cultural appropriation go, it's not a cultural appropriation, but that isn't for white people or the cultural appropriator to decide. But there's more to this. And so... When Sting talks about the way that the drums are played, again, I mentioned I was talking to my boyfriend Hunter about this, and he's a drummer and a bass player himself, and he absolutely loves the police, and he loves Sting, and he was able to distinguish that sound and explain it, and it is that the kick drum hits on the three count, which you hear that in Walking on the Moon. And so apparently that's a thing that a lot of white reggae doesn't get right, but the police gets it right. They get the drum beats right. It's very, very specific sound, and they get it right because of their drummer, Stuart Copeland. And Stuart Copeland's background is that his dad was in the CIA. So he moved around a lot. He moved all over the world. He lived on like every continent growing up. And his musical background is truly that of like world music. And so because of this experience, because of this background, he was able to harness it and bring an authentic sound to the police. And when Sting wanted to do, you know, more reggae, he was like, yeah, I got that. So... Their first album received such critical lambasting about their reggae sound that the second album they named Regatta de Blanc, which is kind of a playful, like semi-French made up way that they created, which translates into white reggae. And this is a song from that album. So furthermore, there's actually a really good episode. And that's what I pulled that quote from. Um, Hunter and I found it when we were talking about doing this episode. And he's a bit... <laughs> he's- I just read what I wrote. I don't remember writing this. He's a big the police guy, not police and cops, obviously, because all cops are bad. But in this interview, <laughs> it's an interview with Shaggy. And Shaggy, a native Jamaican, is saying why the police's take on reggae isn't cultural appropriation. So Shaggy goes on to say... If you look at reggae music in the early days, it was having a lot of trouble getting on mainstream radio. The police used to tour with Steel Pulse, Burning Spears, some of these early reggae bands that were coming out. And you could hear the influences of those guys in the police's music. And what happened in Jamaica is that they would play the police because they were the gateway. And so the final thing that I wanted to say about this and what about why Shaggy, what Shaggy is saying is important is because a lot of Jamaican people feel that way, that reggae isn't just for Jamaicans. And I wanted to do UB40, Red Red Wine, because I was like, oh, it's an English band, they're probably all white, but they're not. There is a Jamaican in the band, his name is Astro. He does all of the obviously Jamaican-sounding parts that's actually called toasting. It's a precursor to Jamaican rap. So Astro very specifically said about UB40, he wanted to promote and spread the the sound of Jamaican reggae and that it was for everybody and he wanted it to have a wider reach. And then when the band changed direction, he ended up leaving because his sole interest in the band was uh, producing and spreading the Jamaican reggae sound. So I thought that was really interesting and it kind of lined up with Shaggy's take on it well, that it helped... Uh, spread reggae and kind of help it I guess in a lot of black music it's described as crossing over you know like how like Prince on Purple Rain playing white music whatever helping that sound cross over into a more widespread reach I've heard this term crossover crossover crossing over before what I have also heard this term I have also heard that term so my CPU is a neural net processor so, I, I mean, okay, so and as far as that song, this, everything that I just fucking monologued about, um, I feel like we just discussed that before the song, but um, before that particular song, but I did think, I just thought it was interesting, because I was like, oh, I'll fucking talk about Red Red Wine, and I was like, oh, my misconception, I had misconceptions, and now I know the info, and I felt, it, it got me more excited so about doing, today. like, yeah, and it, well, it made me, um, like I said, I just like wasn't excited about doing this episode. I was like, oh man, I don't know any reggae. And then as Callie pointed out, it's like quite ubiquitous. And then the stuff that I learned about doing this episode was like very enlightening and very like it made, made a lot of things like like musical kind of pieces fall into place. And, and it's so fascinating to see how everything is intertwined. 
It's UB40 Quidditch. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because I mentioned before we started recording, I was like, I don't I don't really like the police that much, but I actually really like the song, so maybe I do like maybe I should revisit yeah. the police. I, I think they were another group that I would just hear like Roxanne on the radio all the time and it uh, Roxanne don't know how to describe this without it sounding mean. Um, Roxanne makes me feel physically ill or something <laughs> about the way it sounds. It's just like great. It's very song. annoying. I like this song a lot, but yeah. the, and the first time I heard it was actually when um, Hunter and I, when we first started dating, used to make each other a lot of playlists and stuff. Like music is very much one of our languages and sharing it and stuff. And this was on a playlist that he, 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 I can't remember the theme of it, but he put it on there and I had never heard it. And I was like, oh, this song fucking rules. I, it's interesting hearing about Stuart Copeland because Stuart Copeland has created some of my favorite pieces of music on the Spyro <laughs> 1 and 2 soundtrack. It sounds like I'm making a joke, but honestly, like, some some of my favorite pieces of, like, non-lyrical music are the Spyro 1 no, and 2 soundtrack. It has yeah, its I own have... section on its Wikipedia, by the way. Like, the Spyro soundtrack has yeah. its own of all of his, like, vast accomplishments in life. That's well, and right, rightfully thing. so, because it, that is... For my money, his best accomplishment. What's Spyro? Spyro, the PS1 game. I mentioned it in a previous episode because we were talking about Nine Inch Nails, and um, there's a song on the Spyro soundtrack that reminds me of a Nine Inch Nails song. (laughs) But yeah, also, if you've watched the Amanda show, there's a song on the Spyro soundtrack for the level Wizard's Peak, and it's basically, he just redid it for the Amanda show's theme song so fun fact i am unfortunately too old for that but i know of the existence of each of those things (laughs) so that's like it i feel like that's enough base knowledge to go yeah cool (laughs) i didn't know i I had never heard of any literally spent oh my god my entire childhood was playing spyro i do remember you talking about spyro last season actually but i still haven't checked it out but callie do you play call of duty (laughs) no Okay. Why? Bridget has some really specific questions about this one character and it's been eating it's been eating oh, her, it's consumed her entire soul. So um we're trying we're trying to find people who know about I only play video games with cute mm. characters. Cute? It depends on what you mean by cute. I mean cute animal. People. Oh no, not that or kind Mario. of cute. It's more like um how you can't jelly your cock down my throat. That kind of cute. Yeah, no. That doesn't happen in Spyro. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Maybe in some fan fiction. <laughs> that just reminded Maybe me we got... <laughs> this next song is called She's in Parties and it's by Bauhaus. We did Bauhaus's first single, Bela Lugosi's Dead, in season one, and this is the last single that they did. And as far as I know, it's also the only first wave goth reggae song. What makes this a reggae song? Going back to the drum, I mean, it's not a reggae song, first of all, but it is reggae influenced. And I think that that comes through in the bass playing and also that distinctive drum beat, which... In addition to the bass being on the three, the the bass drum being on the three, the bass guitar is on the and. So you know how you'll be like one and two and three and four? And normally you would play on the one and the two, but the bass is on the and. Anyway, wow. Inside um, basketball. <laughs> Inside but I like basketball. it because I understand that. Like I barely yeah. play. Um, I, I can't really too. play anything, but I can read music which is really weird but um (laughs) that's the one thing i learned in percussion that i didn't just completely this is a very difficult percussion sound i did learn how to read beats for um 
it's like once you can do this, you know that you can actually play almost any style. Uh, I can't do it, but I can understand. Hunter was doing saying. it for me. Do like it we were having coffee today, and he was full on. He was just playing different reggae songs and like drumming along to them for me. And I was like, "Oh, that's so far beyond my level of ability." <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like like the magical thing where I was like, "Oh, I can't make my body do that." <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's pretty difficult. I don't know. It's hard. Um, okay, so Bauhaus is the original goth band. Um, Bella Lugosi's Dead is the first goth single. And like all original goths, they deny being goth. They claim to be dark glam and say that other <laughs> bands were much more influential to the goth scene. The thing about being goth before like 2016, I think-ish, is you were supposed to act like deep down you knew how embarrassing it was and pretend that you wouldn't immediately become a vampire if asked. <laughs> um, the song is very catchy. I think the lyrics are about making silent films. Um, it's in the can is like slang for a film being done um, and developed. The film is literally in a can. I couldn't find much about why they made this song or what they say it's about, but fans have speculated that it's about a real but unnamed silent actress or maybe about the hangers on in the goth scene at the time. Amazing. I love goth, goth inspired reggae. I can definitely hear the dark glam thing. Um, yes. I don't know enough about Bauhaus to know the lead singer, but he definitely has like a Brian Ferry mm-hmm. sound to his voice. They're very glam influenced for sure. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's very funny. I mean, Sisters of Mercy also says they're not goth. <laughs> we yeah, agree. Sisters of Mercy is, <laughs> is the fucking most goth you could be. <laughs> when I was in... He sounds like a vampire. <laughs> if your voice is that deep to where it's like you can hear every like waveform as you're singing it, like you're goth. That's goth. <laughs> we used to pass around this quiz called the Goth Quiz that was like from GeoCities and it had a hundred questions on it. And one of them was, "Do you object to this test philosophically?" And another one was, "Would you deny being goth if asked?" <laughs> It's like every uh, goth that I knew when I worked at the music store and like I worked at Sam Ash Music in Columbus, Ohio from mm, I think early 2002 until like like off and on a couple times through 2005. And there was like a subset of employees that were like super fucking goth, but would be like, I'm not goth, but like showing up to work every day. I mean, like I was too, but like I would they would like th- we would all go to the goth club together too, and we just like in you our can't big ever claim goth because there's always higher levels of goth. That's the thing, but we would go to yet. specifically Outlands, which was the club with like the bondage thing, and you could pay to be whipped by a dominatrix, and we would all wear our fucking big, tall, stupid shoes with their dyed black hair. But like, it was like they were a higher level of goth than me because one time I was walking across campus and I was like, Sean, and he was wearing a cape and like LARPing and stuff, and I was like, oh, you're just a different, you're like that level of of goth <laughs> so um i was like i'm just box box uh, black level. box hair dye variety <laughs> in big tall boots variety <laughs> when i was in middle school i would wear crushed velvet pants and a black button-up shirt and kids would be like you're goth and i'm like i'm not goth because i like glam rock and so this is very much hitting home <laughs> that like yeah you can like glam rock and still I, I be think goth in hindsight, it's like when you're not yet out of the closet, but kids keep calling you gay, and you keep, like, saying, like, I'm not gay, and then later you come out. That's me with God. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe maybe there's a reason I was painting my, my nails black. My boyfriend, I just remember this, my boyfriend definitely played Magic the Gathering at the time, and I would, I had my own cards, and I would play with them. I could not tell you fucking anything else about that, but, like, that was a moment in goth for me. It's a moment in time. <laughs> is Magic the Gathering a goth thing? Yes. Yeah, because it's like it's like high fantasy, but a lot of <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's very like gothic romantic more yes. than gothic industrial. Yeah, it's different from like D and D. Okay, that's fair. For, yeah, yeah, and it's also different from Vampire the Masquerade, which I played. <laughs> that's a t- <laughs> more of a tabletop role playing game, not a card game. I dated a oh, boy in ninth grade who was. A Magic the Gathering champion, and like that's that was his job was playing Magic tournaments and making money. <laughs> that's fucking rad. 
I know Marley used to play Magic the Gathering. We bought cards over Christmas, but neither of us had the attention span anymore to learn how to play. So, oh. all right, let's move yeah, on. Yeah, let's to move this on. We have two. And... Oh my! Thank God, my last <laughs> okay. one was not that long. The police one, phew, was the longest. <laughs> also, it's better than this. <laughs> um, so we just pretty much we we started off this playlist talking about two egregious um, examples of white reggae. <laughs> With Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones. And then I think we showed some examples of how you can successfully make white reggae and not have it be extremely offensive. Well, fellas, I'm going to bring us back, <laughs> back down. This is Whiny Whiny by Willie One Blood. Actually, sorry. The actual title is Whiny Whiny, parentheses, What Really Drives Me Crazy by Willie One Blood. <laughs> I cannot find fuck all about this guy except that he's mainly an actor, I think. Any Willy One Blood scholars want to weigh in and tell me who this dude is? You got any Willy One Blood facts, uh, please? I typed him into <laughs> Google in the pictures that come up. Oh boy. <laughs> Treat yourself to that. <laughs> well, I'll talk about the music video in a second. So the only stuff I could find was a short Wikipedia page that needed citation and then his IMDb page, which basically said the same thing. He appeared in Joe's apartment and as himself in Leon the Professional. I I, th I think I read somewhere that Gary Oldman's character in Leon the Professional was inspired by Willy Oneblood, but also <laughs> Willy Oneblood appears in it. So I don't know. I, I haven't seen the movie, unfortunately. That would be very surprising. Gary Oldman's character is like a super genius detective guy. No, I feel like he's always listening to classical music. I think that's him. Okay, so maybe maybe that was not a true fact. I don't know. Because <laughs> that doesn't sound like the description of Willy Oneblood, as I know him. But anyway, aside from his acting chops, he also made this completely unhinged song for the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack that starts out with a fart horn noise, a description of whining as a new dance, which... I'm pretty sure it wasn't. No. <laughs> um, and then he also throws an extremely cringe lot of mercy in for good measure. Don't worry, there are over three more minutes of whining, interpolating the Kings, You Really Got Me, the Snake Charm song, and the Hokey Pokey. <laughs> Any thoughts so far? <laughs> I listened to it before I read anything you wrote, and I was like, damn, this song does not end, and it's... Nope, sure Just doesn't. fucking... <laughs> but the whole time I was, like, kind of bopping, and I was like, this is so fucking embarrassing. It gets a little bit I mean, it, it's you. not bad. It sucks, but it's not bad. But he mm -hmm. does... He does the the patois, if we will. Is this what it's called, right? Am I saying it? I'm fucking saying it, right? Ooh. It's, it's bad. Yeah. It's really it's bad, it's really yeah. bad y'all. Um, so I heard this song all the time because we had the Dumb and Dumber song, uh, soundtrack on CD in the 90s, and my mom would play this song all the time, which is actually a pretty good soundtrack. It's very, like, time capsule 1994. Even this song is catchy. It's It sucks, and it's stupid, but goddammit, is it an earworm. Um, the video is fun. It's just Willie One Blood getting wined on by a bunch of women with clips of Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels doing goofy stuff interspersed. Lovely. Also, I'm going to talk about video game <clears throat> soundtracks again, but this has nothing to do with <laughs> reggae. But I feel like especially since they were both out around the same time and they played frequently in my house household, this song always reminds me of a certain song from the Earthbound soundtrack that is like in the battle. It's one of the battle songs. I provided a YouTube link if you want to <laughs> listen to it. I don't know. I um. That's good podcasting. Yeah. Yep. Real good podcasting. <laughs> I know that the the Earthbound soundtrack has a lot of like interpolations and samples and stuff. Um, I don't want to believe that Keiichi Suzuki was trying to uh, put "Whiny Whiny" by Willie One Blood into the Earthbound soundtrack, but maybe if he's listening, he can um provide some insight on that. 
Your segments always have so many reference, like stacking references of things I'm not familiar with. To that's because my brain <laughs> goes in twenty different directions. You just know so so All many things that I don't know anything about, and they just really all link together but I only have, like, this big... Somehow. I'm definitely the creature in the cave looking at the shadows on the wall in Plato's cave, and you were the light outside shining. <laughs> Earthbound and Dumb and Dumber both came out in 94, so... <laughs> there we go. I don't know where Earthbound is. Is it a movie? No, do I. It's is a, it a video game? It's a Super Nintendo okay. game. I recently watched Dumb and Dumber... And I think it was, like, on TV, and I was like, oh, this is probably not going to stand the test of time. And, folks, I thought it was hilarious. I still think Dumb and Dumber is a great oh, movie. Oh, it's a classic. It's so Unfortunately. good. It's not um, unfortunate at all. It's a really good movie. Yeah. The comedy, like, top five comedy. So, last song is The Tide is High by Blondie. Most people think The Tide is High is a Blondie original, but it is a cover of a Jamaican band, The Paragon Song. Throughout the 60s and 70s, there have been a lot of covers and homages to the original Jamaican reggae sounds of the 50s and 60s, but this was the first song closest to actual reggae to go to number one on the Billboard charts. Debbie Harry manages to evoke the breezy feelings and channel that reggae vibe without doing the culturally appropriating of any sort of Jamaican accent like so many other previous colonizers we've already heard on this playlist. So, um... She doesn't say a lot of mercy. No. (laughs) No. And she... This is... Yeah. And it's, um... It's, and it's kind of like, uh, because it has the horns in there, it's something a little bit more towards the ska side. Uh, this was the song I, when I was listening to it, obviously I've heard the song lots of times in my life, but this particular listening, I remembered my youngest sister telling me once that she was going through a breakup and couldn't stop listening to this song. <laughs> she was like, I don't know why am I listening to Titus Eye on repeat a hundred times a day, Erica. <laughs> So, but this is in the, in, in, you know, and then the way that, yeah, but, the, but also like the way that, that, um, Debbie Harry sings the lyrics to the song in the Blondie version, as opposed to the Paragon's version is very much like this dude has the fucking audacity to talk to me this way. So, you know, um, yeah, I can see how it would, it would grip her. And then my final thing, how we were talking about like fucking white guys with dreads, um, this isn't even related to anything musically, but. We're just talking about white people with reggae. And my final story for the night <laughs> is I used to work with this white Rastafarian guy. And I never really knew him or anything or did the thing. Or, or like the most we ever interacted was like exchange kind of like that tight lip white person smile back and forth um, in the hallway at work. But one time in the employee parking lot, I was backing out of the spot. And I was like two thirds of the way out of the spot when someone fucking honked at me and whizzed by and he cut me off and then gave me the middle finger. And when I turned to look at who the fuck would pull such a dick move in the employee parking lot where we all knew each other i saw it was fucking albert with his bumpy bumper sticker that read irie state of mind <laughs> so so of course me and my other co-workers would shout at each it's... other irie irie state of mind at each other um irie state of mind yeah. what like what a bizarre thing to put fucking... on a bumper sticker and white person car it's, was like embarrassing it's like those um uh, it's like those bumper stickers that say like nama fucking stay oh, my or whatever. God. Like, oh my god oh my god yet another yeah do y'all remember when every 90s dance song had a rapper who would rhyme something with feeling <laughs> Irie in it yeah that's where i learned what i like I learned the word Irie from '90s oh, dance God. music because they all had some rapper talking about being oh, Irie in it. Well, on that note, let's pick our fight. Let's let's <laughs> anyway. be done with white reggae, as fun as it was, and let's pick something and maybe it won't be problematic. Um, if you someone does a number, I'll tell. I have the um, I have the list up. Thirty-two. 
32 is white reggae! We already did it! <laughs> Four. Four? <laughs> commuting? <laughs> do we want to do commuting? Yes. There's so many. You guys are going to do the thing where as soon as we get off the call, you fire in every possible song and then write the day or hour before we record and go, what the fuck songs are left for me to talk about? Because I had to procrastinate in order to have any fucking form of urgency to do actual work. You did pick... To be fair, you did pick the three best songs except for the Baja song. On hey, I and I also I, I can't. Well, first of all, I didn't pick them. I said I texted Bridget privately and he said, "Me dumb, you pick." And she gave me the songs. And then this morning, Hunter was like, "You should do a song by the police," and he basically wrote my whole thing. <laughs> I don't have any for commuting off the top. What of songs my about head? traveling? Okay, also. Also, when we put songs on the playlist, we're not dibsing them. We're just trying not to forget them. Oh. Well, some of mine are... But commuting... Wait, so let's define... Like, you would just say that if someone was like, I want to do this song. If if someone had picked whiny whiny, I would have lost my fucking (laughs) (laughs) shit. Okay. All right. But for me, and you don't have to put this in the recording, can you, for my fucking (laughs) neurodivergent needs to know the rules so I can follow the break of what I want, brain... Um, what do you mean by commuting? Because that's a Bridget one that you came up with. Actually, no, please do put it in the podcast because I think it's important to explain ourselves. What is commuting? What is commuting? Commuting is anything that you might do to get from home to work or from work to home. And also anything that might happen to you in between those two places. Any one you might, just anything that you might have to say about the time period from when you're leaving your home to when you're getting to work and vice versa. Is it about like methods of transportation? If you're taking them, sure, yes. Well, like cars and stuff. Like does grease lightning count? No, okay. it's not. No just, pleasure wait. automobiles. So no Dragula doesn't count? I don't know. Is he dragging in the back of his Dragula to work? Is that his job? Maybe his job is to slam into the back of his his be. job is to dig through the I mean digging dishes is a job. Digging the so. dishes is a job. But I was thinking of like <laughs> my baby takes the morning train. Okay. And thank like you. nine to five. Um, okay, so this is our podcast, Baby Lira. <laughs> we get additional audio support from Hunter Bergen. Our theme song is by Electromagnet and our art is by Marlo Bro. And we are so happy this week is over. 